and welcome to this edition of the Modern Times Podcast. John Guzan here with Karen Weil. How are you, Karen? I'm fine, thank you, John. How are you? I am great. The uh, ele- election is almost here. We got exactly two weeks um, from uh, yeah. November 8th uh, when we're doing this podcast today. Um, excited for it. Um, it's it's you know a little bit uh, sweet and sour that you're that we're going to be done, don't you think? <laughs> I agree. And to paraphrase the late President uh, Ford, our long national nightmare is almost over. <laughs> and of course, uh, that's that's heavy on the uh, perhaps the drama, but it it almost sure feels like it this past year and a half. It's it's been a rough ride. No well, question. You know we're going to be. Uh, we like to do these about every two weeks, so we'll be, you know, the next, you know, two weeks from now, we'll be rolling right into either Election Day, and I know we've kind of talked about maybe doing another one next Tuesday or maybe on Wednesday, the day after, to kind of get a good feel um, of what happened. Um, but there's been a lot that's gone on since we did the last one. Um, there was another debate. There also was more allegations against... Uh, um, Mr. Trump, or the Donald, as some people might say, and I think we're finally starting to get into um, the realm of the weird and unusual, where we're getting porn stars and yoga instructors. And, uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I again, um, I, I don't think a Hollywood screenwriter could have even done this. Uh, it is, it is just, it is. It, no, it has gone from, uh, what is the old expression about history, uh, tragedy the first time and farce the next. And right. I, I think what we're seeing from this year is both of, of those things. And um, to the point of which it, it, it doesn't even make sense to, how shall I say this, to even want to read about this anymore. It is, it is just simply beyond the pale of ridiculous, especially when it comes to Mr. Trump. So all these women are liars. None of them are telling the truth, and he's going to sue them after uh, the election. I think. I think one of the things we can talk about too is, I mean, the debate's you know a, a week old, but this past weekend he did his you know first hundred days is making the case um, thing at, at Gettysburg, uh, and then turned it into yeah. the headlines all were about how he says he's going to sue all of these women um, after the election because they're busy now. Um, is you know. Is that a good you know take on it? Um, you know, we so. talked about and Melania going on TV too, but he didn't yeah. go on TV with her. Um, it was kind of like her. Uh, I don't know. You know, talking about how she feels like she has two boys at home, and and you know, it was just very odd. At least you know, when in '92, Bill trotted Hillary out, and again, you kind of walk right into Trump's narrative a little bit on that one that she was there to defend instead of. But she so okay. was. But, well, but, but so was Melania. So, you know, I mean, did this week make any difference, do you think, to anybody that wasn't already entrenched or already leaning away from Trump? I don't. Uh, I do not. I I think, again, I, and I'll, I'll say this for the tenth millionth time, <laughs> the only poll that truly matters is the one on Election Day after yeah. all the votes are counted. But in the case of Trump, I would say for his campaign, it is simply they've reached the point of no return. Uh, I, I will say that I believe this race is going to be closer than what the polls are telling us right now. But Trump is on the losing end of it. 
And so, when you say closer, do you mean you know? Uh, do you mean popular vote national uh, nationally, or do you do you kind of feel like it's going to be closer in the electoral college? I would say it would be closer in the popular vote than in the electoral college at this point. I'm not seeing anything else right now uh, that is convincing me otherwise. Uh, and, and look, if this were reversed, if Trump had this lead over Clinton, I would be saying the exact same thing about her campaign. There just comes a point in October for the candidate on the losing end where, barring a miracle, it's too late. And it is certainly, unless that miracle occurs in the next two weeks, and as we know, anything is possible. But it, it is looking like Trump is not going to be president. Yeah, and um, he unveiled uh, Trump TV, I think, on Saturday or Sunday as well. Um, his right. Facebook channel. Right, and, and basically that's what his critics have been saying all along, that this was little more than a way for him to yet add some more to his plan. And uh, knowing, given what you're reading about his campaign right now, they're just most of them are acknowledging that they have lost this, that this seems the next logical step. To start a network, obviously one that is going to be very critical of a future President Clinton, uh-huh. uh, you know, as a rival to Fox, and perhaps you'll see Sean Hannity on it uh, <laughs> as one of his bigger boosters. Um, and I, I frankly, I listened to his Gettysburg address, which I'm sorry is an insult to the actual one that was given <laughs> by former President. Uh, yeah, talk about something that's going to be a little more than a footnote. Um, uh, I believe so. I, I just think, me, uh, I heard it, it was warmed over contract with America, you know, along with the standard GOP wants and needs, and even some Democratic Party proposals. Uh, frankly, it just looked like a Hail Mary attempt on Trump's part to maybe win over either some in the middle voters who, you know, not thrilled with Hillary Clinton, might be willing to vote for Trump, still leaning towards Mrs. Clinton for some obvious reasons, and maybe bring back moderate Republicans who really don't wish to vote for him. Um, but I just don't think he made the case. I don't. Okay, so we can talk about a lot of things. I mean, we, you know, we already talked about, you know, the new porn star allegations. Who, you know, she literally right. said he offered her $10,000. Um, and even she didn't want to sleep with him for that, <laughs> which I think was some of the, was the underlying read between the lines, laugh at something, uh, to me, was, was, was that kind of that statement, I think. Uh, she turned him down for the $10,000, which, um, you know, uh, and, and he says, well, like, oh, yeah, like she hasn't been grabbed before. Um, and then recently today, even earlier today, he's talking about, uh, you know, the scandal or the, you know, flub that he made was, you know, talking about Obamacare when, um, you know, talking about his employees, oh, my employees are having a hard time with Obamacare. And then, you know, he kind of says, well, they're not on Obamacare. I give them their insurance. Um, he still doesn't seem to have a grasp of things like when he gets out in front of a microphone. And again, I come back to the same thing of what do you expect from a candidate who has never run for office before? Um, right. You know, he might have got weeded out at the mayor's level um, with the way that he kind of, you know, conducts himself. Um, and also at a, you know, governor's level. Um, you know, and, and the other thing, you know, I kind of wanted to throw out to you there is, again, the, his lack of experience in, in, in policy and, and, and how he can run a campaign and, 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 and handle debates. Um, but the other side of it, I think, is, you know, how he knows um, 
to kind of work with the you know, people that he's talking to and, and, and really develop that and to accept it. Um, you know, is there anything there, do you think, that, you know, do you think he would ever made it if he ran for governor? And the fact that he's trailing mm-hmm. even in the states that know him best. You know, he's he's down by 26 points in New York State. He's down by, you know, at least 12 in New Jersey. I mean, those are the places that know him. And, and even in Connecticut, he's losing. And those are the places that know him. And those people can't vote for him if you paid him. It's almost like the porn star. If you gave him 10 grand, they probably still wouldn't vote for him. Um, Look, it perhaps... If, if Trump had say twenty years ago, when he was still huge, I mean, he the man's had an interesting career. There's no doubt about sure, that. Sure. Um, but I'd say a good twenty or twenty-five years ago, when perhaps his reputation was better than what it is now, uh, maybe if he had sought a congressional seat or even become governor of New York and had legitimate political experience, we, you know, we might be talking about a very different scenario. But, of course, that would have to be combined with how the way Trump has generally conducted himself. And forgive me, but I think it's fair to say it's not been as a rational, mature adult for the most part, especially in the world of politics. Right. You know, America, and I think there's always that interesting contradiction and combined with sort of a longing of what Americans want from their political leaders. Yes, they want them to be quote-unquote, just like me, and yet they don't. They want that person, while they may have down-to-earth qualities, things that are admirable, they also want them, frankly, I believe, to be smarter, to be knowledgeable about governance, about diplomacy, perhaps have military experience where it applies. Um, you know, get, do you get that perfect combination in every single person, be it in Congress, uh, the state level, or certainly in the White House? No, you do not. Right. Um, and uh, with Trump, he has failed most of those prerequisites. Yeah, um, it's a, a completely different dynamic, I think, with you know, with him Absolutely. and anybody else, you know, and it's it's Absolutely. it's 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 one of those situations, and you know, obviously, we could talk about Trump forever. We know where he's at. We'll we'll know in two weeks. I don't like we said early voting's already started. It's different than it's always been too. So there's a lot of votes already been already made. Millions of votes have already been placed. So, um, right. In Texas, their voting is going pretty strong right now, yeah. which is, that's an interesting, uh, you know, factoid in itself. Yeah. We'll get to those toss up States and we want to kind of throw in Texas to that in a minute. But, you know, one of the things we had talked about or, earlier um about discussing and i think it's something that you know hasn't really gone out there at least to the top line very much and of course you know the trump people take the WikiLeaks emails as as you know as if they were if 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 they're religious people it's their holy book um you know they they believe everything that's come out in these emails that it's verbatim and but you know the difficulty i think um comes in like you say the same thing say take for example what happened with i think it was in the 2000 election um and what cost dan rather his job was that 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 letter from from national guard i think about george w bush and they ended up saying that they thought it was forged well you know when you're talking emails you never know and especially when you have that kind of dump i'm not saying that hillary clinton is perfect and i'm not saying of anything else that happens but you know you have um, news organizations, several of them, um, taking it as this is what Podesta said, this is what Clinton said, this is what, 
And when you're talking digital, um, it's so much, especially with those, you know, WikiLeaks files, they're not anything tangible. I mean, it's basically so easy to make them say things that you want them to say. And I'm not saying that they do. I'm not saying they're forged or for sure. I'm saying you can't know. And, you know, the Clinton campaign, to their credit, they also say, well, I'm not verifying this or not. And, and there's also an issue of how they can. You know, are they going to go through and say, these are all really our emails? And how do you check millions of e emails to make sure that that it's right? So, you know, I mean, how do you feel about that whole uh, hacking, releasing, you know, whether, you know, what kind of credibility you think they have and how they play? Because, I, you know, I think that's one of the things that makes them not so, um, it, it kind of goes to that argument. Um, the, all the Trumpkins and Trump and, and, and his little group, they all keep pointing to the emails and how they're not being paid attention to. Um, but at the same time, can you, as a legit journalist, say for sure, or as, an, as a formed voter, know that this one thing that was said, which might or might not be offensive or not, anyway, but then you say, well, I don't even know if it's real. Like, I, look, the problem I have with all of this is that, yes, the WikiLeaks reveal things about the Clinton campaign, but it seems obviously whoever is really behind this is doing it with the intent of trying to damage Hillary Clinton. If they also had the emails from the Trump campaign, that would be fair. And, and you know, readers and voters could take from that what they wanted. But there, there just clearly seems to be some type of concerted effort to... Again, as I, I don't want to repeat, I don't mean to repeat myself, but damage the Clinton campaign. And from what I've read about these emails, well, there are a few comments that some in her campaign made that do seem condescending, and I certainly don't think helped her. Uh, and, but to most of it, to me, it, it's a lot of this stuff is, is pretty thin and not all that interesting. It's just the daily grind of dealing with the campaign and dealing with the optics of it, which, you know, if you really look into the inner working, I mean, it doesn't matter which party. It's not a pretty sight, but that doesn't mean there's any malice or intent on, on either side. Right. It just means they're dealing with the day-to-day -day headache and stress and, and challenges of running your political campaign. That doesn't make anyone look good. And another thing I thought was interesting is Marco Rubio, who is certainly no fan of Hillary Clinton, but it said, you know, Republicans really should not be celebrating any of this because he said, and, you know, and he's right, you know, we could be next. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's I, that's why, for example, even, you know, during the Bush administration, while there were questions about all the emails that disappeared and whatnot, I, I, I thought, well, unless we really all can see what they all say, I'm not taking the word of someone to claim that this could prove that the Bush administration was guilty of war crimes. Right. Again, that's. No, that's a hell of a lot of proof to have to offer up. And I, that's why I don't think that the voting populace really cares all that much about this whole email, quote-unquote, scandal. They've seen what's in it and what the reaction I'm taking from it. And I'm not to say that it couldn't hurt her with some voters. It absolutely could. But I think, in general, the public's reaction is shrug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and rightly so. Uh, what does it do, though, to media organizations and, and, and how do you feel about, you know, their kind of reaction to it uh, and they're, they're kind of trumpeting some of these things when they haven't independently verified them? Mm -hmm. I mean, of I, course I you can't, but does there need to be a caveat on all these, just like everything else? I, I mean, I know because like you hear these Trump 
some of these Trump allegations now at this point, some of these media organizations are saying, we haven't independently verified this. This is what, you know, they say, this is what, you know, the New York Times says or Washington Post says, um, but they don't, they don't say, you know, if they haven't independently verified it, then they don't touch it. But it seems like that's not the case with any of the information that comes out of the WikiLeaks emails. Well, again, I, there, there are several dynamics going on here. One is, and again, I hate to say this, within the, the cable news media world and certain websites, including even the prominent newspaper ones, and this is, this is nothing new. The goal is to make this a horse race, mainly because if it's not, people tune out. They don't right. bother reading the news. They won't bother watching the cable news program unless this race is a lot closer. And again, it could be that it will be. On November 8th. But the goal is to pump it up and pump up the hype as much as possible to keep people clicking and to keep people turning on the, the TV or turning on the radio. Right. And it's just they can take what the printed word is in an email or printed sentence or paragraph, even if not a word of it is true, and somehow make this look, claim that there has more, there's more validity to it or more legitimacy to it than what there really is. It's lazy to a certain degree. Uh, it's easy, and again, back to square one. It keeps the horse race going. Yeah, and it, it keeps the horse race going, and that's and that's one of the funny things I think I see with, uh, or that I think compares, and the irony that 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 Trump tries to throw in about a fixed election, and and you know the media hasn't thrown all its weight behind. Like you said, I always see once they start, once it seems like. Like Clinton's going to gallop away, the media is there to say, "Well, well, well, well." You know, they're just as much trying to keep it a horse race in your in your in your very eloquent um, description of it. Um, and, it, you know, instead of instead of trying to really kind of you know you place what it is, and I, I think that I think you're a hundred percent right. There is a there is an interest in you know on their part to keep it interesting, uh, to keep it competitive. When it's just, it's also the political optics, as we know. Uh, conservative and Republican politicians have loved to use the term liberal media for decades. It's great for red meat for the base. Uh, and I think, frankly, for a lot of news organizations who don't want to have to deal with that, and I can't blame them. You and I have worked in this profession right. for a long time. I find it very infuriating when somebody who doesn't know me uh, makes the assumption about my news organization or even my own personal views. Right. Um, and I just, you know, I don't feel it's fair to stereotype other people in other professions. Um, and I think they just they, they want to look like, oh, we're covering her just as much as we're covering him. This is embarrassing to her, just as these allegations made against Trump. True or not, we don't know if some of them are, uh, are incredibly embarrassing for him. So, again, uh, there may be some understandable reasons purely from the public relations angle as to why they do this. But is it true journalism? Is it really fair? Mm -hmm. That's debatable. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's go to what we do know, at least right now, and that there's some toss-up states which are traditionally haven't been. Yeah. And in yeah. our little prep here, I put one at the top, and I want to save it for last. Um, so we're, let's start with the kind of the, the shocker of the season right now is that supposedly a lot of people put Texas in play. Yeah, I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> Yeah, this is Texas. And I, I have family in the Lone Star State. I love the state very much. Uh, I think Texas is a much more complicated, much more diverse state 
And then that's what goes within the Republican circles. I know I have quite a few family members who are Republican, but believe it or not, they're not all nature from their viewpoint. Um, and I, I think it's just, you know, I think Texas sometimes gets a little bit of a bad rap in terms of its political dynamics. It certainly is changing. It could become more, quote-unquote, blue in the future. I believe so. Is this going to be the year? I'm not sure. I will say I think Clinton is going to do much better than any Democrat has in some time. I think between either her or Donald Trump, whoever wins it, at this point, based on polls, it's going to be close. Does she have a chance of winning it? I'd say a slim chance. But, yes, there is a chance. I would not have said that about Barack Obama, John Kerry, uh, Al Gore, or Bill Clinton. Well, it's been 40 years since a... It's it, you know it's been forty years since a Democrat carried Texas in the presidential election. You know we know that there's you know Ann Richards. Um, I think it was the '90s now that she was governor, right? I mean I I could be wrong. And by George W. Bush in 1994. But she's the last Democratic governor, right? I'm sorry. She was the last Democratic governor. Last Democratic governor. I, it, I mean, here's the thing. It's like many other red states. Democrats do extremely well in the urban areas. Mm. I think we're going to see that play out again, it, but it could be Clinton because of a certain percentage of Texas Republicans who just do not like Donald Trump right. and do not want to support him. They don't like Hillary Clinton, but they're willing to say, I want to put, and I, I'm not, I want to be careful how I put it, but, you know, that they, they are not so interested this time in just backing the party line. Uh-huh. Uh, she may want a bigger percentage of Republican votes. I, I think Texas really is a wild card this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, when I see uh, when I see somebody on the television telling me that uh, that that Clinton wins Texas, then I'll then I'll then my jaw will drop, my jaw will drop, and I'll I'll have a swig <laughs> of whatever's in my hand at the time. But um, you know, there's another very interesting thing, you know, a once in a generational kind of thing, and that's going on in Utah, where you might have right. um, you know Mormon and former military man Evan McMullen might take the state um, just because, you know, no one wants to vote for Trump in Utah, it seems. Uh, but it's very interesting up there. And I think, and again, I, I never like generalizing any state, you know, uh, being from Nevada and getting the assumptions people take about Nevada. Um, you times, and I think the German culture is strong, it's very much a, a a state where values and and conducting oneself in an appropriate manner, I think it's fair to say that is important. I think a lot of you find Trump simply acceptable, but again, this I can't see Clinton winning that. I think the I think she comes in second there. I think Evan McMullen could win this, uh, and I I don't see Trump winning it. I don't think Clinton can, but she, I think she again she's going to do much better. In the state than any Democrat has. Yeah, and, and you know, it's not so much. Oh, I don't think you know Clinton winning. I think it's Trump losing Utah. I think is. That would still be incredible for the Republican Party if an independent took this. Uh, you know, that would be one of the huge surprises from this election. Um, I again, I, I think Clinton does better. I I don't know about winning it. Yeah, and, and, you know, one of the ones that we didn't really talk about earlier in our prep, but one that we probably should have, was uh, North Carolina. Um, there was a, you know, the New York Times-Siena poll has 
Clinton up seven points. Um, I think there's a good chance of winning North Carolina that, you know, despite its other uh, choice for uh, congressional races and the governor's seat, that's still a state that can flip blue. Uh, I, I think her chances of winning that are fairly good. But again, that's going to that's going to depend on turnout. If turnout is extra high, I think like Obama in 08, she takes it. And, you know, if she takes North Carolina, uh, you know, with the way that the rest of the map is shaping, you know, that might be it for for, for the Donald. Right. I, I, I think her chances of winning North Carolina right now are very strong. Yeah. Yeah. And that and that might lead to a, you know, an electoral landslide. I mean, at that point, I mean, just looking at the map, you know, you're talking, you know, 320, 330 electoral votes, you know, if she's if she's able to pull off some of these states, which is. And Correct. and we can kind of get to the last one, which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, our your former home, my longtime home, the home of Modern Times right. Magazine here in Arizona. Um, Part of the greatest house. <laughs> where but, I'm from, I think for Nevada, and I guess they've been a pretty, it's been pretty much a dead heat. Again, I think it turns out is high enough. I think Clinton takes Nevada, but not by much. Uh, and by, by reverse, uh, in a reverse uh, course, it's, it'll be by, you know, uh, the finished of margins. Nevada is very much a wild card state, bad pun intended. Um, um, again, turnout is the key. And if it's high, it favors Clinton. I will, I will stand by that. But if low, no, Trump will, Trump will take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some of, some of what's going on in Nevada is, you know, you have, it seems like, most of the polls now are kind of showing a, 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 a substantial and solid uh, Clinton lead. I think there's a Monmouth poll on Tuesday that shows her up uh, seven points. Um, then there was I one. I think she could win. I will say her yeah. again. I'm sick like North Carolina. I think her chances of winning Nevada are pretty good. Um, you know, two weeks still seems like a long time. Seven points, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and it almost I, seems like, you know, I mean, I don't I, know whether they're polling McMullen or whether he's actually made the ballot here. And that was one of the things I kind of wanted to look into. I don't think, and I might be wrong, and if any of our listeners know otherwise, I will stand corrected. I do not think he is on the ballot there. Last time I checked, he wasn't. Um, you know, and he hasn't I, been I involved in any polls, so I would assume. Um, I think he has any, you know, he wouldn't, I don't think he polled. I don't think he'd win many votes in Nevada, to be honest. He might win some, sure. Uh, if you brought it, but I, you know, I think again, this is between obviously the Democratic and the Republican uh, challengers, and uh, you know, for now, it's looking good for for Clinton. But several things have to be in place for that. So, to happen. so McMullen, you can write him in in Arizona, but that's part of of, of what I was, you know, the greater point I wanted to make about this is we we you know we know that you know there's four states that have that lead in Mormon population. Utah obviously is, is, is the, you know, the, uh, Zion for, for a lot of Mormons. And, and, and then there's Arizona Nevada and Colorado, really. Um, there's substantial number of Mormon voters there. Um, how much what we see in Utah could be affecting the race in Arizona, although McMullen's not on the ballot. That's a strong thing, John. I agree with you. And I think if McMullen ends up doing really well in Utah, you know, he, I, I, again, I can't see him win the other states, but he might just get decent numbers. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, and just taking away um, some votes that people might not be asked in a poll um, whether they vote for McMullen because he's not on the ballot. But you know that there's some, um, um, you know, some of the Mormon voters um, that are just saying, well, I'm going to write them in whether you're asking me about it or not. And they might be the undecideds at this point or they might, you know. So I think it erodes his support for sure, probably in Arizona. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm taking a leap on. But it's, it's, you know, there can't be, you know, we know that, you know, there is a, a definite Mormon voting block here in Arizona that you don't have in New York State or Florida, for example. Um, it's stronger here. And, and showing, showing McMullen's strength in Utah, I think, translates. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, you know, McMullen could, be do, could do very well, and perhaps, you know, he may be a contender in the next four to eight years. Um, you, you know, you, I, well, you just never know. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, the guy hasn't been tested either. He's 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 as much of a of a scary, you know, we go back to the same thing of you have to, you know, have some public office, I think, um, unless you're, you know, rise to be a a five star general or something like that, where you're basically a politician anyway, you're a politician with an army, um, you know, then you have to you, you've already learned how to play politics as a five star general when you know, I mean, McMullen never rose to that sort of level. And while probably a very credible guy, you know, you'd like to see a little bit more of the public side. Same same issue, I think, you know, that I have with Trump. Right, and I think that's the problem for McMullen. Well, his uh, competency and talent, I, I feel he's going to have to really get, again, get some experience. And if he does well, this guy could be a contender in 2020 yeah. or 2024. He's relatively young, so... We'll see. Yeah, run for a House seat, run for a Senate seat in 2018, Absolutely. you know? I mean, Absolutely. I mean, he should be able to win it after he gets 28% in Utah. I mean, he should just run right out of Utah. we got to see who's, you know, what kind of incumbents they have and how, how, how willing he is to play that game, too, um, which I'm not intimately knowledgeable about Utah politics. Um, you know, if they don't sell caffeine in the Circle K, I can't, I can't pay attention to it. Uh, <laughs> again, I'm sorry. Sorry for anybody who <laughs> might have taken offense. <laughs> Just I'll say again, having lived there for several years, again, and it, like every state in our union, it's a much more diverse and complicated place and complex in good ways. Right. Um, and maybe some that aren't so much, but every state, it, it's just not quite what everybody may think it is. Right. So... Everything goes beyond the stereotypes for sure. Um, just like you know, I don't, I don't, I don't wake up with immigrant with illegal immigrants in my front yard either. Um, so. <laughs> And I'm not a surfer girl here in Cali, dude. Yeah, so, totally, you know. dude. You know you are. I had somebody ask me about the, uh, somebody from New York City asked me about the freeway shooter here in Phoenix. And I was just like, hey, there's four million people here. So I don't really worry about it at all. So, you know, she's like, oh, you no. worry? You know? Okay. Yeah. A- anyway, uh, yeah. let's, let's, let's move on more about Arizona. And we want to talk about it. We talked yeah. about let's Trump. Do it. Um, Trump and Kirkpatrick. Excuse me. Um, I wrote that on our prep sheet. Uh, McCain and Kirkpatrick. Um, yeah. What was looking, and we were thinking might be a race um, at some point, has seemed to degrade into uh, Crocker Jarman trumping. Uh, I mean, sorry, John yeah. McCain uh, trumping, uh, uh, trumping literally, but um, uh, and Kirkpatrick. Um, doesn't seem like there's much hope for her. No, she's. I, I, I'll just say that she's lost it. Um, I just really, to me, has not of campaign. She did not, you know, she performed 
certainly a debate, but again, as you said in our previous podcast, is not deliver the knockout blow. I, I think John Stevenson has a legacy on his side, and despite the fact that I don't think he's that well liked by the Republican base, I'm not prepared for and for regardless of her abilities. And even for a lot of middle of the voter, Kane has a pretty support. And I think it goes beyond her party. He represents power. Um, and if I'm bond, it's a perfect example to say. For Kane, six to the pair read, he was going to lose. I told people then, I think Nevadans are not prepared to trick in that kind of power that he represents, and in this case, he had a, a completely unqualified and bumbling uh, challenger in uh, Sharon Angle. Mm. Uh, so that, you know, Kirkpatrick has leaps and bounds uh, more experience than she does, right. or did, but again, she just is not going to be a strong enough contender. Yeah, very difficult, I think, to take down, um, you know, a former presidential nominee. Um, Absolutely. Uh, and besides, you know, I mean, there's so many connections. I mean, he plays the right game. His wife, you know, leads the, or, or basically owns the largest uh, bottling company um, in the area. You know, they, right. they bottle Budweiser. There's, so there's a lot of connections politically, business-wise, to a lot of different people in this state. And, you know, it's it's not easy. He's not just even a typical politician. They also have business relationships with everybody, um, and and anybody that serves beer. So you just think about that for a second. Um, I, I think just McCain smart, although he could have done it a little earlier. But obviously, from a political standpoint, especially right around the primary, I don't. There's no way he could have divorced himself enough from Donald Trump, where you know it saves him. Right, and what we've been talking about, really kind of, you know, laying back for, for, for anybody who doesn't know, um, Arizona Republic, Morrison Institute, and the Cronkite News, um, which is ASU's uh, little news arm, um, reported that right. um, that McCain's leading Kirkpatrick uh, 51% to 40%. Um, That's an incredible leap. I mean, I, I, I just don't see him losing this. And perhaps uh, when he retires in six years, you know, and Kirkpatrick, might just be her year in uh, in twenty twenty two, but yeah, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 really I think a reflection too where this this race was looking um, competitive. Um, I think as late as July um, into August. Right. I think when we look at what uh, Real Clear Politics had as as the possibility there, I think it was. Um, Let's see. Let's wait for it just to come in real quick. We'll see. Yeah, it was uh, May. I think it was within a couple points, and um, you know McCain was stuck in the um, you know mired in the Trump issue, and with trying that he was really going to his base to 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 beat uh, Kim Trail Kelly Ward. Um, and, you know, and he even went to that level. I think he had that. He, he kind of went to the right. And then he started, you know, stretching back to the middle when he got to the, I mean, it's, it's, it's what Trump almost should have done, you know. And if you look at some of these poll numbers where, you know, McCain was below 42% um, in September and he's gone up to 54% by October. Um, and he's hovering over 50% at this point. 
And that's, you know, sort of what you need to do. I mean, McCain's running a classical, um, uh, you know, senatorial presidential election where you go to your base in the primary and then you go back to the middle and your numbers go back up because you start pulling people. Um, right. you know, what do you think of that? Is that is that sort of what you see it as? Right on, John. I do. Um, you know, and John McCain is just, you know, he's too much of a, a power player, again, for enough Arizona to want to trade that in. Right. And that's that. Done, right? Yeah, he's done. He's won. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he won. So. Let's move into another one where it seems like it's starting to become a it might be over um, for someone um, here in Arizona. And that goes to our, you know, but it's on the, the shoes on the other foot. You know, McCain's the entrenched incumbent that everybody loves and they're going to give him as many runs as he wants. Um, and then we have Sheriff Joe Arpaio and his challenger, Paul Pinzone, uh, former Phoenix Police Department, uh, you know, m- uh, marketing guy. Uh, he's also on the street, uh, so we can't say that he was just on TV. But um, I think in August, it was a four-point lead for Penzone. And then by the time um, Arpaio was indicted or charged with uh, a contempt of court, a criminal content, uh, contempt in October, now it's a, what, 15-point lead? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people in, in Arizona be celebrating, for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, Joe Arpaio's been an incredible controversy for a long time now, um, and from how I see it, he's, he's just kind of now reached level, I think, for enough Arizona voters, even ones that might be pretty conservative and agree with him on almost everything. Uh, but even for them, attitude is finally, you know, this isn't worth it anymore. This guy just isn't delivering for us. Uh, he's got a lot of legal troubles. He's got a, a you know, a fresh... Uh, younger, more attractive candidate who's pushing the right type of law and order themes that do not offend, uh, you know, perhaps minority groups or other groups that are not fond of Arpaio, regardless of their uh, racial or ethnic background. Um, and when you have that combination, you know, it, it, it's, it's looking like Penzoni could win this. Yeah, and he's, you know, four years ago, he, uh, he lost by, I think, about five points. Um, and we can right. go look that up, five percentage points. And, you know, now he's up 15. I mean, it, it's it's within the margin. I mean, it's definitely beyond the margin of error. It, so, you know, I think they're in this poll, again, from Arizona Republic, Morrison, Concrete, uh, Cron- Concrete News, Cronkite News. Let's, let's get that right. <laughs> um, they said uh, 52 to 39, um, you know, and then a... I think it's a five percent uh, margin of error. So you know they're within it. Um, five five point six right. points. Um, Forty five point nine for for uh, Penzone and thirty one percent for Arpaio. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, pretty strong, pretty speed. And I, I think Frank, if Arpaio did not legal problems, we'd be seeing a very different uh, a polling. I think he'd be well ahead. But again, I think. The fatigue with him might have reached that breaking point among voters, even ones who are more sympathetic to his overall, uh, you know, viewpoint. Yeah, I remember in 2000, the first time that um, um, Joe Ar- or Sheriff Joe Arpaio lied directly to my face was um, <laughs> was a uh, was election night in 2000, and he 
he had declared from the first time he ran, he was only going to run for two terms. And so I asked him the question at the Republican gathering, you know, if this was going to be what he was going to do, you know, if he was actually going to stop. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, this is it. You know, I, I, I'm not going to keep running this. I'm not going to keep doing it year after you know, every four years. He, he, you know, regardless, he keeps running. And obviously people have forgotten what he said 23 years ago when he first ran at this point. But um He's, it looks like it's finally going to be over for him, um, you know, unless something else happens. But again, early voting here, I, I find it hard to believe that it's going to change or there's going to be some shock. I mean, it's it's only 466 registered voters were surveyed. But it's still, that's out of 466 and you only pull 31%. That's a, that's a fair bottom number, I think. Well, I think it, with any other uh, races uh, from presidential on down, again, turnout is going to matter. And if turnout is high enough, I, I certainly think Penzone can win this. Uh, if it is really low, uh, I think our pile probably sweeps back in. Really? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I kind of, um, you know, I, I kind of think there's a lot of these people that just don't, that, you know, I, I know that up, up until about eight years ago, uh, you know, maybe, maybe nine, um, people moving here. I'm still automatically just like, oh, yeah, I love the sheriff here. And I think even people that come here now from some other places have heard some of this. And so it's, it's you know, he, like every immigrant that came here from, and again, I use the term immigrant loosely. Um, I mean, people right. from New Jersey. Um, if they would come to Arizona, uh, I guess they emigrate from New Jersey, um, if that's right either. Um, again, I've been on a podcast now for 40 minutes, so I don't know what I'm saying. Um, but when they get here, um, they would support him. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case anymore. Um, and so I would think that no matter what, I think, you know, turnouts high, turnouts low. Um, it might be, it might be closer than 15 points, but I don't, I, I, I just don't see our pile making it alive. Sure. I mean, yeah, of course he might be alive. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Just no, no. What'd you say? Oh yeah, I think so. I think Fonzie and and Arpaio are are in their swim trunks and their water skis, right now. Right. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so that's probably going to be a, a a shock. I really think it's going to change the dynamic of this of the of of, of the Phoenix Metro here, obviously. And we'll have to see what he does with Tent City because you know a lot of people say, hey, you know our army guys can stay in those tents. Why can't prisoners? And we've had comments on moderntimesmagazine.com a lot every time we've written something about Arpaio and conditions at Tent City. But, you know, the fact is these are Vietnam era tents. Nowadays, the army doesn't go anywhere without air conditioning. And um, so one, they're old. Um, it's it's also Phoenix in the summertime. And whether, whether the county is going to have now some more money to put into building these prisons because they've been paying it out in lawsuits. So, you know, the extent that getting somebody new in that office who is going to have different, uh, you know, budget goals, different ways to um, house all these prisoners, because that's really the main role of the Maricopa County Sheriff here in, 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 in the Phoenix Metro is really to house prisoners that are serving less than a year. Um, it's, it's really going to be interesting on how that dynamic changes and what the county does now to, 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 to handle um, all these prisoners. So, uh, well, I think also on a macro level, if I may just, just constantly hear and reading and see 
news now about debate about how we handle, uh, you know, uh, rehabilitating or punishing uh, convicted criminals. Uh, you know, there's a, I think, a movement towards obviously prison reform uh, for nonviolent offenders, obviously, but not people who have truly harmed others or committed acts of terrorism or what have you. Right. Um, and I may be playing into what's happening in Arizona as well. Just people are coming away from just this hardcore law and order type of mentality and thinking, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's another way to deal with some people who break the law. Not everyone, not those who truly are a threat, et cetera, so forth. And, and again, that may be playing a role here. Yeah, and you know, you're really going to probably see a bit of a change. And like you said, I think there was the only thing that would ever come out of an Arpaio Sheriff Department is... You know, more prisons, more bars, more criminals, you know, and um, and how they cut costs on top of it, you know, and, and, you know, you have to give him his due where it is. And it's really, you know, what he did for animals. And, um, you know, he's really a strong advocate on 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 the shelters, um, really kind of, you know, handling any kind of animal abuse um, to a high level, which, you know, credit is credit due. Uh, then there was the, you know, areas where. Where you know potential molestations were swept under the rug, or lost, or forgotten, or you know political political uh, vendettas, um, which will not be um, something that that I think most people here will miss. Um, mm-hmm. But 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 again, I just feel I feel good putting his name on a tombstone. So um, again, that's my bias, but um, um, it is what it is. It's just it's I think it's time for a change for this for this area. So. I mean, luckily, I'm not a, a newspaper beat reporter, and I can have such opinions now. Um, you may very. We talked a lot about polls today, so let's go to our last little bit here. Um, we've talked a lot about polls, and then there's been a lot of discussion about polls. Um, Donald Trump uh, used to trumpet um, his poll numbers, especially when he went through the Republican primary process. Always talking about his numbers were so great. Now he poo-poo's them more than off, more than than talks good about them. Um, and so I think one of the things we wanted to talk about is how they're different. There are different things. Same thing came out of the second and third debates. He said he won them. We all know that those were online polls that you could have. You know, a hundred of your friends can all vote on, and of course you can make the polls seem like you win. Um, it's not very hard if you don't feel like having any kind of scientific methodology. So how have you been feeling about the polls, and do you think people pay attention to it? And do you want to talk more about scientific and unscientific? Um, right. It's, uh, again, I, I mean, I've always had the problems with polls one way or the other, uh, just because, uh, I mean, unless, you know, you really have a large enough sampling of a voting populace, you, know, you can't really know or have even the slightest idea of what's going to happen on election day. Um, and of course, you, you know, you started seeing the narrative, this was about eight to 10 years ago, for example, on the 2012 presidential election, where it looked like certain polls really got it wrong, um, because they weren't polling people who, who didn't have landlines. That's just one factor. There right. are many others. Right. Um, but I, I, I mean, and I feel for people in that business today, just because you're just dealing with so much more ways that people communicate, uh, and so many more people, including the, the millennial generation, which really looks at, at at consuming media in very different ways. Um, 
that it, it, it just seems almost impossible. I mean, obviously you're seeing across the board overall polling showing Mrs. Clinton with a fairly decent leak, and that could very well be the case on November 8th. Um, right. But, you know, I suspect there is always that dynamic, that always that, that one little thing that everybody missed. That happens in almost every election. I certainly think it'll happen here. Uh, I think 538 is an excellent barometer, for sure, but not foolproof. And Nate Silver right. himself said that. Right, right. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, but they do do some interesting things. I think it's the rise of the real clear politics poll of polls and, and some other things, too, which then they take the average of all the polls to kind of weed out weed out the outliers and kind of find a baseline. And, you know, there's just right. a... You know, it's it's has become a different science, but I think you know the ability to to hash all those numbers together with the internet and have them be uh, live and you know formulaic. Because in the old days, without having a a newspaper that's that's going to commit ink and space and time, uh, you know, the AP never did that. But then you have you know Real Clear Politics decides, hey, that's what we're going to do, and you know it's given right. them viewers, it's given them eyeballs, and it and it and it's and it actually. You know, gives you something to rely on, um, and then going back to you know what you talked about, Nate Silver and that five thirty eight. Um, you know, the, they actually do pollster ratings, which I don't know if if everyone knows about, but there's ways to kind of find out. You know, are these polls that people are are, are claiming are they worth it or not? And I've never seen a politician um, or a would be politician like Donald Trump do like he does, where he says they say I'm up by this. You know. You would hear politicians in the past refer, hey, you know, it's, you know, a lot of polls are showing us like this. Not saying, hey, it's this one. This is what I'm talking about. Look at this. Ignore everything else because, you know, it becomes a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, to a certain level. And so that people start looking and they'll say, oh, you're also down. Um, it does seem like there's a lot more of those even than the, now those outliers. Um, so what do you think about ratings and and some of these polls um, that 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 come out, I think you know the, you know two that we thought of may, you know, maybe discussing and that are on opposite sides of the spectrum are uh, public policy polling, which has been you know called a a, a a a liberal biased poll or based poll, even though they're both approved by Nate Silver and others, and Rasmussen. Um, they're both accepted and, you know, put on real clear politics and other places. They usually get low grades. They usually get C's or D's. And they're considered something that's kind of on an outlier where all the major networks and all the major newspapers always get A's and B's because scientifically they call the right people. They word their their, their questions properly. Um, but then you have these other two, um, you know, and they're good examples because there's another 10 just like um, PPP and there's, Another five, just like Rasmussen. So, you know, do as an informed voter, how informed do they need to be? I mean, you have to basically be studying these ratings and, and doing independent research to find out whether you should look at this poll or believe your candidate when they tout it. Um, what do you think that does to the electorate? Well, I, here goes Karen, the broken record. Go, Karen. I, I told you that the election day is over. We, we just don't know are a good indicator of what's going on. But can they predict an election? No. I have never believed that, and I never will, unless every single voting age American. And that depends on whether that person shows up. They can claim, oh, I'm supporting Trump, 
I'm supporting Clinton or whomever, and that decide that day I'm not going to vote. This isn't worth it, or whatever reason. Right. Uh, again, I polls to me you take them at face value, and I for the candidate who's leading, and we all know who that is right now. You know, it, it's a good thing. Uh, well, in some and not in others, I think, and that's the thing. It's like. You know, you say most Rasmussen polls put Trump in the lead nationally in the in, in popular vote. All right. And, 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 and public policy polling doesn't do that at any point in time. And it's and it's to what level that these these groups use these polls to either shore up support because people might finally be giving up or finally, like now they say that the Democrats keep throwing more at that they want to really hammer Trump. So that there's they they keep coming out you know the 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 uh, allegation is that the more that they say that Clinton's leading the more that it'll just be a landslide and people will start abandoning. I mean it's almost like a a policy statement of its own most of these polls. And do you think that that really affects the electorate or not? I would say I think I think it affects a small percentage of the electorate in, in general. Um, but once that narrative catches, it's very hard to dispel it. I mean, 10 years ago, when the Republicans were really in a lot of trouble, uh, and, now, and obviously they lost quite a few seats that year, both in the House and Senate and Congress, um, it, it may have been because now, again, was slightly higher, which is unusual in all uh, presidential elections. Um, and I, I, perception becomes reality, is the old saying. And I, I think, you know, we're seeing the perceptions with this election that Clinton is comfortably ahead. Again, whether that turns out to be the case, we just don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And Trump has, because of the whole nature of his campaign to begin with, which has been problematic, uh, you know, he's struggling. And, of course, Trump and his people are trying to claim that's because this election has been rigged, which is... You know, when I say this, if this were reversed in glory, these people were claiming the same thing. I think it's incredibly offensive and just wrong for a lot of reasons. Um, I think certainly the interest in voting this year in this particular presidential election is much stronger than it might have been, say, even four years ago or, say, 12 years ago. Uh, and that puts a lot of different things in play. And I don't mean to speak in so many generalities. Right. Um, so forgive me for doing so. No, no, no. It's fine. Um, I mean, we're yeah, talking we're just, polling. How can you not just be, you know, kind of ambiguous? Precisely. And again, just so many factors are at play when you have an election of this magnitude. Uh, and there are always the things later that forecasters and, and pundits and voters themselves never saw coming and didn't expect to happen. Who would have thought what happened in 2000? You know, right. would be possible. Well, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and who would have thought George W. Bush would have won a second term, although the election was close, but he won handily. Uh, I mean, et cetera, so forth, agnosium. It, that, that's just why, while I look at polls and they do matter, but at the end of the day, what somebody does in that voting booth, to me, there will never be a poll that truly can predict that. Yeah, and it's it's it's. I think it's very interesting, and I don't think many people even understand how most of these polls work. That usually, you know, people call um, someone or in any way that they decide the methodology is going to be, and you know, it becomes. I think that 
for the lay um, voter, um, they don't understand even how intricate a lot of these polls are. And, you know, I think a lot of the you know Trump supporters, when he came out of the debate saying, look, the polls are showing I won, they just took that at face value. Not, you know, they needed a news organization literally to tell them these are online polls that you should not believe. Um, you know, that they're, they're so easily biased that he might as well just say, my family says I won, so I won. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Ridiculous on the face of it. it would be ridiculous if Hillary Clinton were saying the same thing. It would exactly. You know, I think for a candidate, especially what's the same, you run like you're 15 behind, even when you're 15 points ahead. Yeah, and and, and, and we'll see what pays off. Right, and or and and how and how easily polls can be manipulated because the things that that really um, are are usually tied to public policy polling and Rasmussen or the way they word the polls in order to get just those one or two percentage points or up to three that will skew towards either whatever agenda they're after. Um, and right. that you can manipulate polls slightly just by the language you use. Um, and so that's basically rigging a poll, if you ask me. Um, but um, it, I, I really think that most people just aren't that you know, up with it. They're not up with the with the uh, issues most of the time, let alone how the polling is being done, telling everybody who's doing well and who's not. Well, right, and most really don't, from what I've seen, and, and this is this can be mm, pretty much verified uh, you know, over the years. Most Americans really don't make up their mind until about, what, two or three weeks right. before an election, which may show why Mrs. Clinton now has the lead she does. Uh, accurately or not, but, and it, you know, not everybody can be reading uh, The Economist or watching C-SPAN 24-7. People have lives, they have families, uh, they have jobs, and, and for all, even those of us who are in this business, you know, it, it, it gets very tiresome listening to politics and the horse race 24-7. It, yeah. It's why you have so much, I think, while there's incredible interest in this election because of who's running, but I think there's tremendous fatigue. You keep seeing all over social media, you know, can't wait till this is over. Blah, blah, blah. And, and for good reason. Um, it's just what makes the American political process both wonderful and inspiring and important and infuriating uh, and sometimes just disheartening. Um, it's, it's just a huge mix. And, and, you know, back to, you know, I can't, I couldn't agree with you anymore, but back to what we were talking about methodology and wanted to get to the last bit here before we run out of time. Um, yeah. It was the L.A. Times USC poll, and it was done, I think, for the first time in 2012 in cooperation cooperation with the RAND Corporation, um, and now RAND's not part of it in 2016. Now, what they do, which is different, is instead of just asking who they support and if they're undecided whether there's a candidate they lean to, this poll asks people to estimate on a scale of 0 to 100 how likely they are to vote for each of the two major candidates or whatever, whatever they're asking them for. So it has been showing, you know, for a while there, it was showing Trump up 5% or for, for, you know, five percentage points for a while, you know, and always kind of leaning more to Trump um, until recently. And so I think, I think it was yesterday's poll or the, or, um, 
Yeah, it must have been. It was on Monday. Um, yesterday's poll finally showed, like, you know, Clinton with a 1% lead. But that shows, and, and, and they were supposedly very accurate in 2012. Um, the, you know, the result was that they were, they actually got it right. You know, how many people thought that, you know, a lot of Republicans are all remember Carl Rove going crazy, um, saying there's no way that this could have happened. Uh, Romney won. Um, but they got it right then. And, and it kind of shows that there was that power. Like if you asked a Donald Trump supporter, zero to 100, how likely they are to vote for, for, for their candidate that they chose, you know, you'd figure they always said a hundred percent. And Clinton's camp always probably said, oh, you know, 90, 95, you know, just because, you know, if, if it's, there is that energy and that energy was there, but you know, it doesn't translate if you only have, if less than half the electorate is still energized, it's still only half the electorate. Um, but what do you think about, you know, even looking at polls like that, where they're completely different um, and they don't just ask those standard questions and it almost behooves anybody looking at it or even, a, you know, even real clear politics where they put this stuff up there, but they're not explaining how it is completely done different than any other poll that you're reading. Um, you know, what is, where, where does that responsibility lie? You know, we had talked about whether it affects people and how hard it is, but then does it lie to the, to the organization that's giving you this information or does it lie upon the, the, the voter to find it out? I'd say that's 50-50. Obviously, any organization that's going to have a story about a poll, it should explain fully what the methodologies were, uh, the sampling of voters, where they pulled them at, uh, and down the line. Um, but also, you know, it's what our parents told us. Don't take everything at face value. Uh, if, you know, research an issue, research a politician, uh, look at everything and read as many news sources as you can, you know, before you decide that this is the person I'm going to support. And certainly, and I, I mean, I think it's common sense for me to say this, you know, it shouldn't be based on whatever a poll says, obviously. It should right. be based on, do you think so-and-so is the better person for this job? I mean, again, that just, you get into a psychology there that uh, it, it's hard, I think, certainly for me, to articulate. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a half and half, both the media is responsible, and I think average voters are, and, and in the, you know, pundits as well. Yeah, and it, it, it's really like where the third parties come in, I think, with it, where, when, when polls are used as a campaign tool in order to either sway voters subliminally, you know, because a lot of it, I agree, and most people aren't aren't saying that they're making those choices, but subliminally, I think, you know, there's a reason why polls have been effective over the course of electoral history. And, and it's because they're able to sway um, undecideds. They're able to sway, um, you know, anybody who might be leaning uh, on abandoning their traditional uh, party. Um, and, and, and they're also used on the stump, um, you know, and when they're, when they're either disingenuous in the case of some of these polls or have, are, are experimental in the case of the LA Times USC poll, it becomes um, more of that, you know, how much are these, I mean, because you won't really want to talk about rigging an election. That's, to me, where it lies. Because you're not, you're not actually, you can't rig the ballot boxes. We all know that there's too many checks and balances. For those of us who have gone down to Election Central to inspect what they do and how they test their machines and 
how all that works and how it's so grassroots and you have volunteers working at every polling place and that, you know, there still is physical ballots in a lot of places. I know in Arizona, you still have physical ballots. It's not just touch pad voting. And I think that they've even gotten rid of those in, in some of the other parts of the country. Um, so there's always something to look at. But rigging the election can happen subliminally through polls at earlier dates. And, and you know, I, I, it's just a very interesting thing with all the discussion on polls. I, I, I was thinking about, you know, this kind of came up here of maybe us doing a five points on polls and kind of, you know, diving into really what they mean. Um, but this is definitely a different kind of a thing to think about, I think, moving forward, especially with the way that they're done and the way that they're used to credit um, things and that there's a lot more groups. I mean, if you look at that Nate Silver's 538 ranking of polls, there's like 200 different um, uh, groups that he, that, that are, I no. are, no, are, are rated. And, you know, when we were kids and, and when our parents were kids, it was, you know, Gallup. And, and that was basically it, you know, and, and it's, it's really a, an industry that's grown. And I think it's, it's unregulated and a lot of things happen. And it's that gray area politics, which I think, you know, most voters should, should spend more time paying attention to because it, like, you know, I agree with you that I don't think people consciously make efforts based on polls, but subliminally it affects a lot of voters. Absolutely, and what's the saying? Everybody loves a winner. And right. for right now, in the presidential election, that is Mrs. Clinton. Will that be the case in two weeks? Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Very good. You know, Karen, <laughs> Karen, you have a natural inclination for this type of uh, work. <laughs> the, uh, the cliche, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to put it that way, but, but you know, hey, you know yourself best, right? Don't you think? I'd like to think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, we promise we'll be back in about two weeks. We're not sure, um, and obviously Karen and I will talk about this. We're probably leaning towards doing a special podcast on uh, two, uh, Wednesday, November 9th, right? Yes, the day after. Yeah, let's talk about the day, <laughs> the day after, the day like, after. that movie's <laughs> from the 80s. That's what it'll feel like. Probably. Uh, Some ABC movie that scared the hell out of it. That's right. The, well, we'll have a political uh, nuclear winter. We'll be waiting for us on November 9th. We hope not. We hope not. <laughs> well, and um, we'll be here to discuss it. You know, maybe we'll even have some more guests or see if we can get more people to join us and we'll see what happens. But I just that. like discussing things with Karen. I think we have plenty of things to discuss. Um, we do. So, so let's just do it that way. We'll We'll, we'll find out. But Karen, thanks a lot again, and I know we only got really one more podcast before we're done with this political stuff for 2016. But just thanks, it's been thanks fun. God. Thank you to the listeners, everybody out there. Really appreciate it. All right, well, thanks, Karen. We'll see you next week. And like I always say, when you go to the polling place, close the curtain. Absolutely. Bye, Take Karen. Care. Thank you. Bye.